Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of the Voice to Race podcast, a PiceLab youth production. Um, today, we're here with Peter Gable, author, law professor, and former president of New College of California. And he's also a co-founder of the Critical Legal Studies Movement in Legal Scholarship. Eventually, I believe Peter, like many others, want to be seen as a marathon runner in the field of social spiritual activism, a spirit which he brought along with him throughout his career, including the creation of PiceLab, that is Project for Integrating Spirituality, Law, and Politics. So welcome to the podcast, Peter. Glad to be here. <clears throat> Great. So today, basically, we're just going to have a chat. We're going to talk about the things that you have done. But before we get to that, we want to begin by letting our audience know what PiceLab is. Um, so Project for Integrating Spirituality, Law and Politics. I'm currently the chair of the youth committee, and we are basically trying to reach out to young people to join the effort. And Peter, tell them about it. Well, the existing legal system uh, was born out of, you know, it, we should give it credit, it was born out of hundreds of years of struggle to... Uh, to help create a society in which the individual was recognized, the autonomy of the individual, the liberty of the individual was recognized against groups that could persecute the individual, against the state that could silence the individual. Mm -hmm. And our legal system was built up within that historical framework, reaching its high point in the 18th century with the French Revolution and the American Revolution, the, the Western revolutions that really brought forth this idea of individual liberty as being central to human self-realization. And, and linking justice to the uh, validating the freedom of the individual and ultimately to the notion anyway that individuals were all equal although as we know that was uh not actually the case at, in the 18th century when when these this legal system was was initially created but the problem with it is that okay that was that was great and we can give, we can acknowledge the achievement of those generations that preceded us but the problem in today's world is different the problem is the disconnection between human beings the failure of people to fully see and affirm one another and love one another in their true humanity and so what we need to do so we we've got a world we've got a, we we have a world in which people are separated from each other, they're isolated, they're alienated from one another. They have difficulty making the kind of authentic human contact that I'm describing. And we have a legal system that is adversarial, that emphasizes people battling against each other for their individual rights, and that reinforces the separation between human beings rather than healing that separation. So what we, those of us who created this organization are trying to do is to build a new legal system that emphasizes the fostering of mutual recognition of each other's common humanity, of healing social conflict and of bringing about a more loving and caring world. That would mean redefining justice 
and now I'm speaking the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Redefining justice so that justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. That's a very different approach to law from what you would study in today's law schools. But we are making inroads. We are gradually, it took 400 years to build the existing legal system. It's going to take us 400 more to build the new one. Right. Wow. That's definitely a very profound quote that you uh, just take from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, it's also a different assumption about law, right? Law not being this authority, this embodiment of authority, but rather the embodiment of uh, conciliation, right? Yes. The relationship between people and Beautifully to see said. each other as equals. And that is exactly part of why I myself was drawn to Lab and eventually led to the creation of the current PiceLab U. So just tell us about what made PiceLab decide that there needed to be a youth committee to begin well, with. Well, so PiceLab, Project for Integrating Spirituality, Law and Politics, we have been holding, we've been building up our movement little by little. We're a group of lawyers, law professors, and law students. And we've been building up our movement little by little over the last 20 years, really, but especially in the last five years with annual conferences, monthly conference calls that anyone can join if they let us know. And we do have now quite a few people, not just from the US, but from Europe and Australia. And even we have one wonderful professor and his students from uh, India who are part of our calls. And so we're expanding our movement, but we need a new generation uh, who, who can grab onto what we've created. The executive committee right now is mostly in our 60s and 70s. So while we're in good health and uh, have, we're young at heart for sure, uh, we, really need, we really need people like you, Yudong, that is uh, the you. next generation of people who have energy, insight, and already understand what we've had to struggle to help people to see. There's a way in which your generation, I think, is already getting that it, we have to, over, that it's, it's the blockage between people has to be overcome. So we don't keep reproducing the insanity of war and mutual hatreds and mm. misunderstanding and objectification of each other and so forth. Right. <laughs> Wow, that's definitely a very encouraging message, especially, you know, when a lot of young people today, they're also thinking about their new generations of social movement. And that brought us to a very interesting topic, actually. That is, what have you seen personally as this major or some major consciousness shifts, right? Between, major what? I'm saying it again. What have you seen as some major consciousness shifts, right, since where, well, let's say 70s, right, 60s, since 70s and 60s to up to today, right? right? Your generation, our generation, what have you observed as some major consciousness shifts that have already taken place? Well, here's some, here are some major points that, that reflect this difference. Mm -hmm. one is that y- your generation hasn't yet seen a, a full-scale rising social movement. Like we, mm-hmm. what happened with us was 
we had the civil rights movement and then we had the movement against the Vietnam War. Right. And these things fused together and then out of that bubbled the women's movement, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender movement, the environmental movement, the student movement as a movement, an ed a movement to change education. These things all synergistic synergistically melded with one another to create a situation where a, a major part of the culture right. was generating what I often call a parallel universe, a mm -hmm. counterculture, a whole right. a whole sea change inside the society that was contesting for, uh, in a way, contesting for reality, in a way, contesting for what was really important, what really mattered, what was really true to what human beings are. And that that feeling of a, a widespread rising movement lasting over many years is something that you guys haven't experienced yet, although you have experienced some moments of very powerful resistance, mm -hmm. uh, in part facilitated by social media, as we're going to talk about in a minute. Right. The other thing that's, so that's one major difference. Mm. And another major difference is that at the time that I came of age in this way, the left was still heavily defined by uh, a sort of socialist metaphor mm. of uh, changing the economic system would change the world. And there was a worldwide left that held to a sort of uh, common set of beliefs coming out of international socialism, that has largely collapsed mm. with the failure of the Soviet Union, um, with the, or failure, with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Remember at that time, there was a really existing world power that was a socialist world power that uh, that plus the the Mao Zedong and the Chinese experiment uh, created a situation in which the 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 conflict between a conventional left perspective, by which I mean in focusing on the economy as the centerpiece of everything, and uh, the Marxist critique of of that coexisting with American capitalism was right there in the face of the world and in a way people chose between them. In your generation, there's been such a diffusion of that. The belief in that has partly been undermined by the collapse of the Soviet Union, the, the excesses of other revolutions like the Cambodian revolution, so much social violence, the cultural revolution in China, so much social violence that has created an, ideological uncertainty as to which way to go if you're in favor of human liberation. It's not obvious who to join up for in your generation and what team to join with, so to speak. So that's where we come in in a way is we're trying to bring the spiritual dimension into revolutionary consciousness. Right. So that it's not just about transforming the economic base, it's also about transforming relationships between self and other transforming the very psycho-spiritual field that we exist in. That's a new way of thinking. That's, so that's a, a new opportunity for your generation, but it also, is not, it also is not anchored in 
you know, there's not like a major world power that already believes this, <laughs> which was somewhat true when we were young. Right. Um, that's definitely true. And I think this new thinking partly arose from reversing the old thinking that is economic priority is yeah. going to take dominance over, you know, the spiritual cultural dimension. Right. Which, you know, a lot of left wing activists see as me merely means to an end, right? They're like, oh, these are things that we tap into, but you know, they're not really ends in themselves. We're just using them, right, to sort of achieve, uh, to step up the game, right, uh -huh. so to speak. So that's a very, very insightful comment that you have about the consciousness And you mentioned social media. That's another thing that I feel like almost defined our generation. That is, we have been well, in a neutral sense, right? Been deprived of this more in-person communication and contact with each other. And instead we are sort of just trying to know each other through the screen, right? Through yeah. this phone, uh, which definitely confines our forms of speech. People send emojis, right? Like different smiley faces, you know, laughing faces, all of those kinds of expressions, symbols that we don't really convey in person. So do you think social media today are more conducive or more harmful to movement consciousness and organization? That is a good question. Let's put it this way. Uh, social media creates the opportunity for a vast trans transmission of information very quickly among many, many people that, that when the screen is turned off or the communication is over, you're back alone in your social space. That's the main shortcoming of social media is that when the interaction is over, you're back in your own solitary space. You don't feel in the same way interconnected with the others who are involved in your action or movement. And uh, that's why you can get very rapid, massive transformations uh, uh, at, a, at a pretty shallow level. If you look at the Arab Spring and what happened in Egypt, there were, I guess, millions of people instantly able to protest together against Mubarak who was then the, the president of, of Egypt. Uh, but when he was kicked out of office through that massive upheaval, then there was no base there to create the new government. And so now we have a military dictatorship in Egypt um, that filled in what the void was there. Mm. The same thing in the case of the, uh, the response to George Floyd's killing is, uh, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world took to the streets after witnessing that common image of the killing of George Floyd. And there was certainly in those street demonstrations, a feeling of movement, a feeling of interconnectedness, of resistance, of wanting a different kind of world that was produced by the internet and substantially by the internet meaning that in your city, you received a notice that there's gonna be a demonstration down at Dolores Park at 5 right. p.m. and then everybody shows up. So then you have a massive gathering of strangers 
who are brought together by a single message, but there's nothing bonding those strangers besides having watched something on television together. Right. And so when the demonstration is over, then everyone goes back to their private life. That is the shortcoming of social media. How do you thicken the bonds so that it doesn't, you're not producing a movement by getting a million people in one place at one moment who are strangers to each other. You're right. only producing an event. Mm -hmm. Social media is great for events, but not yet for movements, I would say. Right, that's, that's actually very interesting because usually we would value, right, having this instancy uh, that social media provided us. But because of this instancy, right, we don't have what you have described thick enough a bond among people, right? Young generations right. to sustain the social movement. Exactly. Right? We come out to events, we come out to a gathering, but it's all very instantaneous just as social media itself is. So- Yes, in fact, I, I, I wonder if it's true of your experience also that sometimes it seems like it seems like the whole thing is virtual over a period you can be, it can, it can have almost its own virtual narrative life. It mm. can be six months of virtual and you still haven't felt I've been in the same room with someone who is, uh, who I feel part of a, a, a social change effort with. It's, it's confusing. Right. It you know, is absolutely confusing. confusing, but like you said, there is a lot of new, possibilities out there associated with social media. We did see, like you mentioned, George Floyd, right? The protest, mm -hmm. it was a nationwide protest, you yes. know, gigantic multitude of people coming out to protest for such a righteous cause that's been denied to the black community, right? For yes. generations and partly exploded during this time because, you know, it just got too bad, right? For a lot of people. That's interesting. All right, social media, that's something that uh, we have not yet fully explored. But definitely, there is a future to it. And I think by better understanding, by having your insight today in our podcast, it will be better for us to understand the role of social media to social movements for sure. Okay, the last topic for today is immigration. This is actually one of the most controversial, one of the least legislated area in our political life, right? If you talk about, let's say, racial equality, gender equality, we seem to have relatively, I'm not saying completely, but relatively comprehensive legislative pieces for that. But for immigration, we simply don't have it, right? You see immigrants, they come in, they come out. All these decisions seem to be made, right, solely on either executive orders issued by the president, which is highly arbitrary, mm -hmm. or they're basically policy decisions made, right, by ICE, by, mm -hmm. you know, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, right? These agencies, they are not making these policy options accessible to the public, public but rather they're doing it in sort of a dark corner setting, right? So it's definitely a very controversial area, but immigration itself, right, as we know, it's really about people. Mm -hmm. It's about recognizing others' humanity, yes. right, to see them as equal and to treat them as human beings. 
I think that's very much embedded in our PySlap philosophy, in the ideal right that we pursue through social movements, through policy changes. But what do you see today as, I guess, this most critical lacking in the immigrant justice movement that would, if we complement it right with that lacking, with whatever it's currently lacking, would actually better and strengthen right the movement aspect, movement energy of immigrant justice. Well, I'd I'd say uh, perhaps the the biggest difficulty is that in order to understand it, people who want to keep out immigrants. Mm-hmm should not be perceived as bad right they should be under it's it's a matter of understanding what this is struggle is really about so mm-hmm. let's say at two levels one is that the nativist orientation the people who feel that uh you know support donald trump want to build a wall and all that stuff these are people who do not feel part of a safe and beloved community, who feel under-respected, under-seen, under-supported, uh, who feel a lack of community in their own lives and a loss of identity in their own socioeconomic and personal worlds. And so they develop a substitute belief in the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant identity of America that they want, think they want to preserve. Because that feeling in the imagination of their world is all they have for a sense of community. It's a substitute sense of community, not a real one. That leads them to demonize the other. Right. Demonize the invading immigrant who in Donald Trump became stereotyped, you know, as whatever he said in that first speech, rapists, murderers, they're going to infect us, which is the same way that Himmler talked about the Jews during the Nazi period. They said the same kind of language is that they, the, the, the Germans were a humiliated people who then took on this hyper- grandiose Nazi identity to compensate for the underlying humiliation that resulted from World War I. Here we have a similar situation of a large mass of American Americans who feel that their own sense of identity is in danger of humiliation. So they then develop this hyper grandiose feeling of the America that they are going to make great again and are going to protect from this bad other who are coming up from the south crossing our borders and infecting our community well for us to address that we have to realize that is a we have to understand that feeling and think of what strategies are there to help address that kind of really isolated paranoid humiliated core that leads to anti-immigrant sentiment. Also though, we have to address 
the underlying socioeconomic and cultural realities that is leading the Southern Hemisphere to want to move upward toward the Northern Hemisphere. What is the nature of poverty in these countries? What is reproducing it in worldwide capitalist culture? What, what, and what can and should we do to transform that so that the people don't have the same necessity of flight from their own homes? And wow. here I do support that, that Biden and Kamala Harris are trying to take an initiative that addresses this second issue. Not yet the first issue, mm. because the first issue is more psychological, spiritual. It requires thinking, well, what would we do to overcome people's paranoia about uh, people of color from the South joining us here in the North? Right. That could be a beautiful thing. <laughs> what could we do to open people's hearts so that they don't have this paranoid, humiliated, and then sub persecutory consciousness about immigrants well now that's an interesting challenge right because so maybe what we need to do is create circles of mm -hmm. gatherings in which people actually meet together across borders mm -hmm. and sit down with each other learn about each other's histories understand why someone would want to leave guatemala to to come to the United States, but then also the people who are here already get to say what they're afraid of. And mm. through that dialogue, could we create a cross-cultural uh, communication that would overcome these stereotypes? I think that would be a very imaginative and innovative strategy for changing consciousness about immigration. That definitely sounds like one, because I think the one thing that you brought up that just actually surprised me, but right now when I realized it, it's actually very important, is that we also need to understand the internal psychological dynamics of immigrants, right? What prompted them to come to this country, right? That's also very important because, like you said, we shouldn't demonize any group, right? We shouldn't demonize people who are trying to repel, right, the immigrants outside the border. They're like, oh, you shouldn't come here whatever ideological justification they may give, I think you're absolutely spot on about their inner fear, right? This almost a form of psychic split from mm -hmm. themselves, yes. right? The demon that they're trying to project onto the outside world in which immigrants are only, you know, one of the demonic communities that their projection created. Yes, beautiful. That's something that I think is very very profound. And just so you know, our fellow audience, High Slap Youth has recently launched the Immigrant Justice and Anti-Colonial Coalition. Maybe in a future podcast, we'll go more in depth about what we're doing with it and our allies, partners, people we're working with. They're also very interesting people. But for the time being, I think Peter today has walked us through some very important issues. We have you know, talked about the consciousness shifts, we have talked about the social media, which is something that I feel it's iconic, right, of our generation <laughs> and immigration as well. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for your yes. time. Yes, I hope your hope your listeners join Pi Slap or find out more about it through your efforts. Absolutely. <laughs>
our fellow listeners, you can check out PySlap at spiritlawpolitics.org. That is spiritlawpolitics.org. Check it out. Join today. Subscribe to our newsletter. Think about becoming a member, honestly. We have some awesome community calls every month. Is that right, Peter? Yes. Our next one's April 14th, actually. And I guess they can get the information on our website. Right. Okay. Thank you so much, Peter. Very good. So good to be here.